0: So, um, welcome, um, I'm Marie Santani, I've met most of you, but, um, I do public affairs for lobby and, uh, in my side life, I consult on campaigns. And so for about, uh, 12 years now, I've been consulting, doing political communications, but it wasn't until my husband decided a week before qualifying in 2014 that he was going to run for school board here. That I managed a full campaign on my own, and since that time, we obviously had to figure it out. It was just the two of us around our kitchen table with about four thousand dollars to work with, and he won, and uh, was actually just elected unopposed. And so we we learned some good lessons there. And the year after that, I helped a good friend uh, win a three-person race for the and uh, I've taken on more campaign work since then. And you know, my my background is in communications, especially uh, legislative communications, but I have found the campaign life has been fun and it's been a good niche in Louisiana to try to get good, uh, smart people, capable people running for office because some people think, uh, they think they're not qualified, they think they don't deserve it, they think no one would vote for them, and then once you kind of show them how it's done, they're more likely to run. And so I'm glad to be able to do this with you guys. And hopefully uh, for those of you who are watching the recording later might inspire you to action. So I'll get started. So when, when I first meet with people and they are trying to figure out if they're going to run, what am I running for? Why would you run? Uh, There are three questions to answer and they're all very different. And Depending on the answers, you really should ask yourself, I mean, did, do I need to be running? So first, why do I want to serve? Are you running simply because someone said, hey, you should run, this is an easy seat, you could win? Are you running because you know this position comes with good benefits in retirement later on? Or are you running because you're passionate about an issue and you really feel like this is the avenue for you to make a difference? Uh, the second thing, am I the most qualified? Sometimes it doesn't matter. When you're running for judge, when you're running for something like sheriff or an executive position, sure, you want to make sure that you have the qualifications that if you get elected, you'll do the job. But if you're running for, uh, let's say, a governing body, a school board, a council, a legislature, it's good, I believe, to have a mix of perspectives. And what is a qualification? Really, usually it's residence and age. That's usually it. And make sure you you know, haven't committed a felony and paid your taxes. So, whether you're qualified is almost in the be- eye of the beholder i would not let that stop you from running for office there's many many times especially women have a tendency to think themselves less qualified than they are when if you set back and look at the people who are on your local governing bodies what makes them qualified they're regular people they're teachers and and doctors and you know high school coaches there there's a, a mix of people who run so qualifications are usually very basic and should not be a, an obstacle to running for office and then the most important question that is sometimes difficult to, to ask yourself am I electable um, and that can mean several things but uh, would people want to vote for you and uh, that can be more than just do people like me it's can I win this race and when you look at can you win the first thing to look at are do your demographics and your ideology line up with the district? And I'll give an example of that. We had a wonderful woman who ran for Congress down here in uh, our district. So we were represented by Clay Higgins. She challenged him and she ran for his seat last time. Her name was Mimi Meffin she's a federal magistrate judge she is like you meet her you said you look like a walking congressman barbie doll like you look like what should be in congress on paper you're what should be in congress but her ideology was way too liberal for the district there was no way she was going to win she ran anyway almost philosophically to make a point but she wasn't going to win and so sometimes you have to think is that going to stop me from running or should I run anyway just to get it out there because I believe in the process and, and that? Um, do I win the beauty contest? That means, and I believe that races are a beauty contest and a foot race. It's who's the most popular choice, but also who works the hardest. And so do I win the beauty contest? Meaning if I poll and I ask a room, who are you going to vote for? Do I win based on just purely my resume, my um, my connections? My position in the community and paper uh, do I win? And then do I win the foot race? Am I going to have the time to commit to this to work hard? And sometimes, the foot race trumps the beauty contest. If you are smart and hardworking, have the right team, spend your money in the right way, the foot race is what wins it. But it's always best if, you, if you're qualified and have the ideology, ideology line up with the district and win the beauty contest. The first steps if you decide to run, there's three big categories of things that I like to see you have done before you really get into your campaign. One is the launch pad. And this is what I call, uh, it's, it's everything that you need before you make it official that you're running. It's almost like if you're a rocket ship taking off you want a solid launch pad so this is what that launch pad looks like it's going to be making sure your business entity is set up so that you can start doing things like opening your bank account uh getting expenses going with graphic designers web designers whatever it is and start taking campaign contributions um that's probably the first thing you should do is set up that entity now people will disagree on on, on what that should be some people say it's an llc some it's a corporation like it just just depends on on what uh, what advice you get at the time there's there's a couple of different ways to do it but whatever you need to do to be able to open a bank account that's probably step one a good logo is key I'm sure y'all are starting to see signs pop up from some races this fall and just snap judgment that first impression of a logo makes it or breaks it simple is best I believe classic is best If you get too creative with the design, you lose people. And sometimes it's just not well executed. I do recommend a professional designer for that. Uh, You need a website, not a fancy website. Most people do not use their campaign website for anything other than here's my bio. Here's how you volunteer. Here's how to donate. And really what you, the reason you need to have your website up before you launch is because when people start talking about you, they're going to start Googling you. And you want to control where they land. You want a good, solid place for them to find you that adds legitimacy to your campaign and makes you look professional and real and trustworthy. Uh, and with that website, you need to develop a good bio that tells your story and you need good photography. We're a very visual society now, especially with, with social media. Uh, and you can tell a good story visually with photography. You need a, a good... I, I think the basic basic pictures that you'll need is obviously a professional headshot, something that when you send your press release, you'll send out that shot as the one for newspapers to keep on file for stories during the campaign. You're going to need a family shot. You're going to need a shot of you in action, a relaxed shot, you know, of, of men running for Congress. They've got the sleeve rolled up and they're leaning against the fence posts in the farm. You know, you've got to have that. You've got to have something that provides context of you at work or you in the district. Uh, Once you have those things, um, you need to think about your team and the team will vary depending on the level of office you're seeking and uh, the budget that you have to work with. It's always good to get people to volunteer if you can, but you have to also be able to hold them accountable. If you can't, you know, if someone says, oh, I'll do that for you, and maybe they're not the best at it, and they don't ha- they don't meet a deadline, you can't really hold them accountable if they're a volunteer, but there are really good volunteers out there at the same time. So the roles you should be looking to fill, uh, a campaign manager. It doesn't have to be a professional campaign manager. It has to be someone who is going to oversee logistics so that you're not doing that. You, The candidate should not be the campaign manager. You should be spending your time. Knocking on doors or fundraising, unless you're a judicial candidate, you can't fundraise. Um, A treasurer, that's someone to worry about your bank account and your campaign finance reports. You don't want to do that yourself. It's it's a lot of accounting. And again, you don't want to be, you know, balancing the checkbook and writing out a report when you're supposed to be knocking on doors. A volunteer coordinator could also be the campaign manager, but someone to, uh, when someone says they want to help, what do you do with that? you say, oh, we're riding in a parade this weekend, be here at this time with your t-shirt size and all that? Do you say, we're knocking on doors in this neighborhood Saturday, meet us at this restaurant in the morning for coffee, we're going? Uh, someone to, to coordinate those people. Uh, and then a logistical coordinator, uh, and by that I mean like an intern. <laughs> someone who you say, I am riding in the parade this weekend, go to Sam's and buy bags of candy and stock an ice chest with bottled water for the, for the float uh you know you're gonna need someone who can help and we all know know someone high school students who are willing to to help out maybe for a little little extra money um and then there's professional consultants that you will probably need at some point Uh, a fundraiser is always recommended if you are um in a high dollar race and you especially are gonna to need to fundraise to the level where you have to do TV or radio, you probably do need a professional fundraiser. Because again, it's someone who takes that off your plate, they're good at what they do, they know how to do it. A lot of them make money on commission, and so it's up to them to raise money if they wanna get paid. Um, and again, that is a, an extra level of accountability because they're extremely professional in knowing what the campaign contribution limits are, what to do if you get a check and you need to return it, don't cash it, you know. they. They know the rules and they're very good about uh, a media consultant, and this is someone who can put together your videos, your um, your direct mail pieces, your ads. You know anything that needs to go out, a professional person to do that. We can all play with Adobe Illustrator. We all have friends who are graphic design interns. There's a difference between that and someone who knows how to craft a message and tell a story and capitalize on the thing that will convince people to vote for you. Um, We had a, well, there's plenty of stories of people who gather talented teams, but campaign talent is different from a lot of marketing talent that you'll see out there. Uh, All right, and then the war chest. Building a solid war chest, this is the toughest part for some people. Unless you're in nonprofit fundraising and you you know how much people love to give and be part of a cause, it, it can seem like such a, a huge barrier to overcome. But the first thing is to determine your budget. If you're running locally, you might not spend more than ten fifteen thousand $15,000. If you're running for the state legislature, that might be more like 100 to 200,000. If you're running for the Senate, it might be 250. If you're running higher, that's where you get into some really high dollars. Uh, Fundraise via your Christmas card list for your initial setup. By that, I mean the people who will say, I'm so glad you're doing this. You're my friend. I support you. How much do you need? Ask them for money. They're going to want to help. And they kind of expect to be asked. And so if you think of really your Christmas card list, who are your colleagues, your family and friends who you keep in touch with, who love you and want to support you? go to them first and that's how you get a good nest egg to get going you can say I'm just looking for $100 from 50 people well that's quite a quite a nice pot to start with if you're especially if you're running locally um, and then plan fundraising events once you get that initial wave you can plan events but these events take time it might take two months to plan a fundraiser so you don't want to wait two months to get money that's why I said start with that Christmas card list so People do like to know a place and time to come to give a check. Letter solicitation, email solicitation does work, but it's more effective if you say, we're having this event, I would love to see you. It's $500 a person, $1,000 to host. It's going to be Friday night at this restaurant. Please be there. They like to have a place, place date and time to, to drop off a check next developing your strategy let's see i gotta move this over here um the first thing to do is get good voter data because really this is going to tell you what the battlefield looks like who votes who are they how many of them do i need to reach and what's the most effective way to do that this is an information you can buy from the secretary of state your parish party might have access to this information, your campaign consultant might be able to give this to you. But basically, and I wish I should have pulled the numbers for for your parish in Natchitoches, that would have been fun, but like, let's say your parish has 100,000 registered voters, there might only be 40,000 who turn up in an election. And of that, really, you only need half of them to vote for you, so you only really need like 20, 25,000 to vote for you. So when you have the voter data and you have this path, you understand more about what your budget and your strategy needs to be. So when you're knocking on doors, you're not knocking on every door. When people say, I knocked on every door in the district, you're like, well, you wasted a lot of time talking to people who are never going to walk into the voting booth. When you have the voter data, you can see who votes, and you can go down the street and know, I'm going to skip this door. I'm going to suspend some time here. Oop. There are three people living in this house and they vote in every election. I'm going to make sure to knock on that door. Uh, It really does drive everything. And then that's also how you determine your mailing list and your phone call list later when you get closer to the election. Once you have that target, then that's how you build your your budget and your strategy. You want to work backwards from election day. You'll see people peak early and you'll see people do things like, uh, you know, send direct mail and maybe uh, get on the radio in April for an election that's in November. That doesn't make any sense. You want to do as much as possible that's free in the beginning. And by free, I mean like friends hosting meet and greets, you going to a festival, you being in a parade, going to baseball games, football games, tailgating, Do as much of that as possible and save your expenditures for right before the election because that's when people pay attention. First impression is good because that's what sets you up for your credibility going forward. But the last impression is what matters right before people walk into the voting booth. And so you want to build from that last impression, depending on how much money you have, backwards from that date. So you're going to plan out your media buy, direct mail campaign, a social media campaign, Plan and a get out the vote strategy. And usually you you want to count back um, a good period of time from early voting. So for example, the fall races, it's a November 3rd election. I have obviously I'm on my bulletin board right here. It's a November 3rd, 3rd election. Early voting begins October 20th. So you want to make sure, that's a few weeks before the election, you want to make sure that people have received a piece of mail from you or a phone call or a knock on their door before early voting begins. And then even before that, now, voters 65 and older can get, uh, get mail-in ballots, even before that. And so it used to be a rule of thumb, it was like a three-week media campaign, now it's almost five. Because you, but you can segment audiences. You can say, "I need to reach only voters 65 and older five weeks out," and then you broaden that, and then you you can uh, move forward from there. Um, the walking plan: How many votes do I need, and how do I track responses? So, if you know, again, let's go to our 10,000 voter parish. I mean, 100,000 voter parish. You know that you need 20,000 or so votes to win. How do you knock on those 20,000 doors? develop a strategy for that is it this is how many weeks it's going to take me and i'm going to need this many people to do it so this is our uh this is our method um or my district is too big and rural i'm not going to be able to walk on doors so i'm going to put all my money on direct mail and phone calls sometimes sometimes it doesn't make sense to knock on doors if you have to give and get in your car drive like a mile between houses that's that's not a good use of your time if it's a neighborhood obviously that's a good idea but a lot of rural uh, candidates find it's not worth their time to knock on doors Um, and then tracking responses there's software out there or you can just use a simple spreadsheet where if somebody says, yes, I'm going to vote for you, well, that's solid gold. You want to remind that person to go vote. If somebody says, no, um, my cousin's the opponent, no way in hell I'm going to vote for you, you don't want to remind that person to go vote, right? Because they're not voting for you. And so you have to find a method of keeping track of the people who say they're going to vote for you. Um, yard signs, that is a fun game. Are yard signs popping up around y'all for races already? Yes. Okay, so... It's a necessary thing, but really, it, it it's such a game because it's nothing but babysitting yard signs from now until the election. And for those of us in South Louisiana, a hurricane comes, you got to pick them all up. Um, they're necessary for branding, just the way you would advertise for your business, you know. But signs don't vote, uh, so it's easy to get caught up in the sign game and say, well, they have more yard signs. Well someone stole my yard sign or Ooh, this one got knocked down. You know, it can take all of your time. So if you have a person dedicated to doing nothing but putting up yard signs and maintaining them and finding those large locations for the, I mean, those locations for the large yard signs, it'd be great to have a person dedicated just to that. They are important. Again, less is more simple. They are I used to have some right here this big and so you really can't fit like your whole resume and your website and your phone number and like slogan and everything on this something this big the best yard signs are the ones that have just a simple logo maybe your picture of the election date Um, and then maximize community events you know you know well, this fall, who knows, but normally you would know the football schedule, the festival schedule, um, any large community events, gumbo cookoffs, you know, things that you can work with volunteers to uh, attend and sort of blanket with all your push cards and, uh, and make the most of that. So all of that should be developed into your strategy. And then you launch once you're ready to go. So again, the checklist is for your campaign announcement, is the website live? Make sure the website's ready to go. Is the Facebook page ready? Uh, Social media, especially Facebook, has become the most active platform for campaigns because it's the best way to share information and share your story. And really, Facebook is trending older, but so do voters. Voters, uh, super chronic voters are mostly over 50. And so that's what Facebook is. Uh, I've been in seminars where they start talking about when is it going to be time for Instagram? Mm, not really. Um, not only because the Instagram audience is younger, but people on Instagram don't want politics. That's that's not why. That's why they left Facebook. It, they want something different. They want lifestyle. Um, so if you do Instagram, make it more about the inspirational aspects of running office. I, I need your vote. It's so happy to have met this person today as I walk the campaign trail you know etc anyway Facebook page ready are your push cards printed when you meet someone you must give them something in their hand you don't attend an event without leaving something behind you don't knock on someone's door without sticking something there you have got to have something ready that makes you again look professional has your resume has contact information and a way for them to get in touch if they want to donate some people do business cards. I like that because if you're meeting one, one-on-one with somebody, you can put all your contact information that maybe you wouldn't put on a push card, but that's always good. Um, are you going to do banners and t-shirts and things like that? I would recommend getting a huge campaign banner printed. You're going to use it over and over again. Uh, something with grommets that you can tie up and kind of reuse. Um, and then for the event, I like to have an announcement event because it's an opportunity for you to get real people around you, make it look like the biggest party possible, have good photography, and then share that on social media. It doesn't have to be more than 10 people, but if you've got a tight picture of 10 people, all with signs and balloons, it looks like the biggest party. And all of those things, again, visually help to build momentum and kind of show the support for you. So I do recommend sending a press release because once that's in the paper, then that is, again, sort of another layer of legitimacy. And then especially if it's online, that's something that you can share on social media, again. And then your campaign coordination. You are going to need a a system for volunteer sign-up and donations and sign requests. When you go to events, uh, whether it's a simple sign-in sheet for people, whether you have an app that tracks that, or, have an intern following you around, like collecting cards as you talk to people, Uh, you do need a system for what to do with that because people will come forward and volunteer and say, what can I do to help? You don't want to turn that person away. You want to be able to incorporate them into your campaign, follow up with them, and make the most of their offer. Communicate with your contacts. MailChimp is very good. Uh, Some people, there are other systems that you can use, but you pay for your campaign newsletter very close to you they're not just like looking and you know sharing they are part of your team give them content give them things like we just did a poll and it looks good you know don't don't release the poll but we just did a poll and it looks good and it tells us we're on the right track thanks for being with us Uh, we're having an event Friday night I hope to see you there we're gonna be writing this parade we'd love you to join us you know etc and obviously don't forget to vote um plan neighborhood meet and greets and get your schedule full get your schedule as full of many free events as possible neighborhood meet and greets are so good because it's almost like a very personal endorsement of you to uh the host's neighbors and you should be doing one a week if you can if someone says what can i do to help say have me over for coffee and invite your neighbors it doesn't have to be expensive you can provide the coffee you can bring a case of beer whatever it is even if it's 10 people that's 10 solid people who know you and who have met you and who are now going to talk about you to their friends and that's free um i I like i like to do those a lot let's see and look for opportunities to meet new people you'll find and i'm sure it's like this where you are you go to the chamber of commerce meetings it's a great group of people you turn around and go to a kiwanis club meeting it's probably 80 percent the same people You go to a Rotary Club meeting, it's going to be the same group of people. If you keep hitting the same circles, you're not permeating the total voter universe. If you've ever sat on election day and watched the people coming to vote at a polling place, you might know one in 10. And you look at these people, you're like, where are these people from? Like, where are you all day? And these are people who wake up, go to work, come home, eat supper, and you just don't interact with them because they're living their life. You know, there's a very small strat who get involved and go to events and are, you know, in the community. And so you have to make sure that you find a way to permeate that and dig deeper. Um, I see laughter, Amy. (laughs) If y'all have a question, jump in or a comment. Um, all right, what to do and when. So if we're organizing the timeline, I like to think of it as a year and think of it as seasons. Obviously, we're we're already in summer because qualifying is in two weeks. Um, but normally, when you're thinking about your year and organizing, uh, what do I do when, this is kind of a logical option of putting one foot before the other and not jumping ahead. So let's say uh, you're thinking of running next year. Well, this fall, you would spend time getting all your building blocks together. You'd get that business entity, you'd work on your bio, you'd get your good photography, and you'd make sure that all of that stuff is ready to go for your launch. I like to launch in winter. Um, and by winter, that's like December or January. In Louisiana, we've always got elections in the fall. You want to wait till that's over because you don't want to get lost in that vacuum and then we get into mardi gras and a lot of spring things and so you want to get before that and so i find december january is a good time to launch because the the news cycle slow down and you can just get a lot a lot more attention a lot more bandwidth um in the spring that's when you fundraise and network that's when you do those meet and greets that's when you go around introducing yourself to community leaders you haven't met and maybe you you take the time to meet all the elected officials in your parish, and you say, hey, councilman so-and-so, I'm Marie, and I just want you to know I'm running for the school board. Let, get a chance for you to get to know me, ask me questions, and then they can, when somebody comes behind you and says, hey, I'm running for the school board, like, I don't know, I already met with Marie, she's pretty awesome. Um, it's just a good way to gather support and kind of block other people from running if you get out early and get that network going. And you do wanna fundraise in the spring, because you won't have time to fundraise in the fall. And in the fall, you're gonna be spending the money. So fall's too late to fundraise. It's always good to have a fundraiser if somebody offers, but you should concentrate that effort in the spring because you're gonna deploy it in the fall. And it's almost impossible to fundraise in summer just because y'all know people check out and they're gone. Um, In the summers, when you qualify and you pull the trigger, um, y'all are gonna see on the 22nd to the 24th is qualifying for the November races that's when you're going to learn about people you haven't heard of before. And um, really, once qualification hits, it's almost nonstop until Election Day. So when you pull that trigger, you've got to have your ducks in a row. You know, some people go qualify, and then they're like, oh, I guess I should have an announcement party. Like, you're way too late for that, you know. And you'll, you'll, see, you'll watch it this fall, and you're going to observe some patterns and realize uh, who's, who's done it well and who's struggling. And then in the fall, that's when you implement your plan, that strategy that you developed looking at the voter data, thinking about walking, thinking about when to do mail and what to do, that's when you, you implement that in the fall. And so you can see that's sort of the timeline of how you, how you go about it. And again, you will see people do it out of order and you get caught up and it slows you down. And uh, they may have launched and someone say, well, I need a push card. You're like, ah, I don't have that yet. Or somebody says, I need to write you a check. And you realize, oh, I don't have a bank account yet. You know, so, so if you follow the order, it, it makes, the, makes the year make sense. Koozies kill campaigns. This is my phrase for people. Here's where not to spend your money. Um, And this is always fun because people in marketing are like, I'm going to go help somebody on a campaign and they've wasted the budget on things that are not going to produce votes. So here's big expenditures that do not get you votes. Uh, Campaign headquarters. We don't need them anymore, right? Look at us right now. I'm in my I'm in my house. Like we, we we don't need these anymore unless you're running for Congress or president and you're gonna have like phone banks full of people making calls and, and doing things. You really don't need a headquarters. It's a waste of money unless somebody like offers you a space rent-free and it's just like good and visible and you can hang a huge sign on it. That's great, but don't spend money on a campaign headquarters. Fancy website design. When my husband ran, one of the most exciting things we saw on his opponent's campaign finance report was that she spent $3,000 on a website. Because we knew, I know I see your jaws dropping, we knew that now she can't send a mailer. But who's gonna see the website? And so she had time for one piece of mail and it was like everything she wanted to say was in this one mail and it like unfolded and kept going. But the website really, as I said in the beginning, it should be almost three pages, three, three navigations. It should be the home page, welcome, learn more about my campaign, the election date's November third, a little bit about me, and then how to get involved. And really that's it. So if if a consultant comes to you and it's like, we're gonna have this website, it's gonna have these videos, and then you can do a blog. People don't spend time on websites like they used to. Everything's on social media now. Uh, gimmicky branded materials. This is really hard because it's really fun to like go to a parade and throw koozies with your name on it but you know who ends up with the koozies eight-year-old girls right so i'll I'll give an example we one of the first campaigns i did uh, the candidate was riding in the cattle festival parade and i was like you know what we're gonna do we're gonna get cowbells with your logo on it what a waste of money what a waste of money you looked at the crowd at the at the at the festival and i was like these are not chronic voters these are not people who are going to vote on election day. And uh, anyway, so you're going to have people say, "Ooh, so-and-so gave me. The, the one thing that I do like is a fan because people keep it. As long as the fan has your logo and some good information on it, and it might say, I'm a fan of Marie Tanny." Ha ha, get it. And then you hand it out, especially if you're at an event where it's hot and you know people are going to hang on to it. Fans are good. But no, don't waste money on koozies, on keychains, on all of that good stuff um, sponsoring community events. This is hard, but when you run for office, people are going to come out of the woodwork and say, we're having a church fair. I would love you to sponsor and you can get a booth. And it's going to sound so awesome. But again, if you don't know that all of those people at the church fair vote, do not spend money there. They're going to say, we were in a football chamber. We want to put you in the program. It's going to be like 60 bucks. Don't do it. Like, just, just resist the urge. And it's really hard, but you can say, look, I've got to put all my money on radio i'm so sorry i would love to help you out thanks for the invitation can i show up and pass out push cards you know things like that um it's it's very difficult to say no but when you think about the 500 um baseball sign at the baseball field you know in the outfield that's 500 people you could have reached with a mail piece and what's going to have a greater impact on people who are actually voting so that's something to keep in mind. The other is newspaper ads. Unless you are in a small community where everyone gets the local paper, it's a waste of money. Because like, if I'll say something like, uh, you know, the Baton Rouge Advocate, that goes to a huge audience that's way bigger than the district you're running for. And so you've spent money paying to reach people who can't even vote in the election. Um, the same goes for TV, except that on TV, you can tell a better story. And the medium of tv is so compelling that it's just a better way to reach people so if you're going to do a print ad where's my Miller? i just sent a piece of a print ad it might look like this and it'll be in the paper and somebody will throw it away and you don't know if they're going to vote or not versus this will cost you 50 cents and it will go directly to somebody who will be walking in the voting booth because you've done your homework and you've gotten your voter data so that's why I recommend not to spend your money on these things. There's a lot of pressure to do it. You'll see your opponents do it. Everybody will say, man, they took out a full page in the paper, and you can say, mm, cost them a lot of money. That's a, a lot of money down the tube. Um, the best bang for your buck, here's where to spend your money. Again, a simple professional logo. Very simple. Uh, you want people, I wish I, I should have grabbed some examples so that I can show you some good stuff. Um, You want people to take you seriously. Again, you don't want to confuse them. You don't want it to be busy. Um, Here's, of course, it's going to be backwards. This guy's running for judge in um, Monroe. I love this one. It's very simple. It's very classic, but it's also young because he's young, and I like that. This guy's running for judge in Vermilion Parish. He wanted this to uh, mimic his law firm a little bit because it just kind of capitalized on branding that was also there. But it's classic, it's professional, it has a dignity to it, and it's got the scales, um, which kind of sets him apart. So if that logo's by itself, you know he's running for judge. Um, You're going to use this logo on so much. And so having that good foundation, it's just a good place to start. You can take any beautiful photo, slap that logo on there, put that on Facebook. People are going to like it and share it. Um, Facebook ads very inexpensive and you can target them Um, I'm sure you guys know Facebook has gotten very strict with its rules on advertising and so if you do really one of the first things you should do and I should revise this is go and get uh, authenticated through their process Uh, you have to verify that you're a real person and that you're not a Russian spy and I don't know if you've done it, but you have to you have to give your name and address and upload a copy of your driver's license, and then they mail you something with a code, and you have to do that code. And if something's not right, you have to get it notarized. It's it's a big step, so you have to verify that you're a real person. You have to verify verify that the campaign is a real organization, and then you have to link yourself to the campaign, and then you have to organize. It takes a little while to get done, but it's good that Facebook um, did that. But the point is, you can spend dollars Facebook and you can keep going for weeks and weeks and weeks and you can control who sees it you can put a uh, I'm pro-life you know graphic up and hit exactly the people you want to hit you can you can pick it by age you can you can really hone in on your audience via Facebook and there are also consultants who can uh, match Uh, match people on Facebook to your voter list. And so you can reach people that way as well. Direct mail. Once again, it is great because you are only targeting known voters. Why would you spend money or time on someone who is never going to vote? And patterns don't change. I have a friend who ran for, um, she's on the city council here in Lafayette. And when she was getting ready to run, we did her voter data. And she's like, "Mm -mm, this isn't right. My husband's not on it. I'm like, well, go ask your husband, (laughs) and he doesn't vote, and she's like, but he tells me he votes, he comes back with the sticker, he was going out and reusing the same sticker just to, like, get her off his back, (laughs) I know, I see y'all, like, and it's true, and since that time, we've turned him into a chronic voter because he got busted and was so, so embarrassed, Um, and again, walking is free, if you have no money to do anything, walk, get a good voter list. If you can't afford it, surely you can find someone who's run for office recently who might give you theirs. Um, walking is free. And then these are a couple of quick tips that didn't really fit into a category. Um, prep yourself on policy by playing reporter. So even if you're not gonna be live on the radio like doing a debate or you know, if you're running for local office and you're not gonna be at some forum you know, getting drilled with questions, when you knock on doors and have conversations with people, they're gonna ask you about policy. They're going to ask you about issues. They're going to say, what's your stance on Black Lives Matter? They're going to say, should this Confederate monument come down? They're going to say, are you going to raise my taxes? And you have to be prepared for all of these questions. And so when I would prep people for debate, or even when I I worked for Governor Blanco, and every day I would play reporter and I would say, all right, she's going out today. If I'm a reporter, what would I want to ask her? And it was like current events, things that were going on, you know, there's like, you know what they're going to ask you. And sure enough, we could almost predict what she was going to get asked. And so just be ready. Don't have like scripted answers for things, but just know your positions on things and know how you can relate it to people and be ready to defend your position. And and not in an ugly way, but just you should be firm in what you believe in. Um, Know your sign ordinances. It's really embarrassing if you have this big show and you put all your signs up and then like your local historical society or beautification committee takes them all down or rats you out because your city prohibits signs within like two weeks of an election. Um, or if you put them in a public place and DOTD goes and picks them all up and puts them in a warehouse somewhere. Um, there are rules depending on the community for where and when you can place signs. So just familiarize your, yourself with that so you don't uh, you don't have a misstep don't spend your time sorting t-shirts that's just like a general rule for if you have to do admin stuff as a candidate you're not using your volunteers well um, you're not going to win an election by sitting there inputting data in a database or stuffing envelopes you should have volunteers doing that you need to spend your time knocking on doors or making phone calls and raising money uh, candidate needs to be getting votes or money at all times Pay attention to early voting and absentee voting. It has trickled up uh, higher and higher with each election. And especially right now with with COVID, what we're seeing in Lafayette is we had more mail-in ballots than early voting in the presidential primary that's taking place right now. And so you know, people put a big focus on election day and I'm gonna go wave signs and I'm gonna do all this stuff on election day. But again, you have to start about five weeks out segmenting your, your, your voters and thinking, I need to communicate with the 65 and older five weeks out. I need to talk to the super chronic people who are more likely to early vote four weeks out, and then kind of broadening it from there. Remember poll watchers. Okay, this is a little thing that most people don't know about until they qualify, and they don't think about it, but in the right race, it can help you. So everyone is allowed, a set of poll watchers and these are people you have to sign up through your clerk of court and they have to live in the district and they are allowed to go sit at the polling place and record the names of everyone who votes and so if you've got that list and you've knocked on doors and you know that sally green's voting for you and you're sitting at sally green's precinct and it's new and sally green hasn't voted yet you better go call Sally Green and remind her to vote. And so you can develop a system where you know who's voting. You've got your poll watchers assigned to the precincts. You, maybe three days before the election, start calling those people, reminding them to vote, and then you look for them on election day. If you haven't seen them by noon, call them and remind them again. Uh, that can, you know, in some of these super local elections uh seats are decided within sometimes less than 100 votes and so this can make a difference and if nothing else it gives you something to do on election day that makes you feel productive because that is the longest day of just like waiting for eight o'clock to come and waiting for the returns to come in um so the poll watchers are allowed to be there and you're there to look for any uh electioneering anyone breaking the rules anything that you would need to report to the secretary of state or the clerk of court Um, if if someone is Uh, campaigning within um, I think it's 500 feet of the entrance that's illegal you know there's certain things you watch out for if someone's denied voting you know there's things that you can watch out for if you feel like there's fraud happening but really what it is is to sit and just kind of uh, observe and listen for the names so they can show you when you know when you go vote you give your driver's license and you sign a book that's you can't see that that has your address your social security number and a bunch of other private information there's two other volunteers who are writing down your name in the checkbooks. There's like two books that they use to, to triple check that, that they have everybody who voted, and um, you're a, depending on your clerk of court. Some people they have different rules, and some people real territorial, and these elections commissioners take their jobs very seriously. But um, our clerk of court would let us take a picture of the page with our phone and we would just text that back to headquarters and they'd check it against the list. And about once an hour, we'd come in, take a picture, text it back, go outside, wave signs, come in, take a picture, text it back, wave signs. And that's, that's kind of how we did election day. So depending on what your clerk of court allows, you're supposed to be able to look at that book, but not you can't interfere and you can't talk to anybody. But anyway, poll watchers are an often overlooked tool. And then branding, be consistent with your brand. Um, Especially in a in a in a situation where you're going to have a lot of volunteers, people might offer to make something, or I'm going to do an ad, or I'm going to do your mail, and and each piece of mail looks so different from the first that you've lost the consistency of your message. You want to build momentum and sustain it, and if all of a sudden, if all of a sudden something looks different, they're not going to know it's from you, and you're not going to get credit for it. So branding really does matter, and that's everything down to just making sure that um, your shirts are consistent, your logo is properly used on everything. Uh, it's almost like having graphic standards for your campaign. But it's really, it's the look of the campaign and the tone of the campaign, just making sure that it's professional and consistent. And that's it. I do want to tell y'all uh, that we have a leadership boot camp coming up. So lobbies LFEI, which is our... Um, free enterprise institute this is our 501c4 that is sort of charged with doing uh, public outreach information uh, education Um, we host these boot camps we've done we've trained more than 200 people to run so far and so we do a two-day version of what i just did with uh, experts and consultants and elected officials talking more about best practices, answering questions, and really getting into discussions. And so it's going to be, and these are some of the, the pictures from them, we've got, um, you know, we give you a good binder with all the presentations in it, we have really good speakers, and we find that the most effective part of it, we have elected officials kind of come back and tell their story, and answer questions, and really talk about things like, what their children thought when the attack ad started or what did their spouse think when they were not home every night and they were so busy uh did they spend their own money on their campaign you know all of the is it worth it in the end you know and and all of the the questions that people really want to know you can ask it of the elected officials so this one's going to kind of focus a little bit heavily on the judiciary because we have so many judicial races this fall but um it will be next wednesday and thursday uh, over a series of eight Zooms between nine and five each day. And this is the website where you can go. And I'll go ahead and email y'all the flyer so that uh, you can distribute that if you want to. But it's uh, lafeinstitute.com slash leadership-bootcamp. And then this last thing that I like to say, uh, when I worked for Governor Blanco, um, people would come to her wanting her blessing for them to run for office and wanting her help. She never lost the race and she goes through this matrix that she created when she first ran and it was, you do, you, we all do like win-lose scenarios, right? She did four quadrants and it was, what do I win if I win? What do I lose if I win? What do I win if I lose? And what do I lose if I lose? And that's an important thing to kind of go through because maybe, um, You know, I have a good friend who's in agriculture. He would be such a great state senator, but his busy season is the fall. And so he cannot financially make it happen. He would lose that foot race in the fall. So his best bet would be a special election in the spring. He'd be fine. Um, Maybe you have nothing to lose. Maybe you gain if you win. You know, people, if you've ever talked to somebody who's run a marathon, it's like a club of people who've run a marathon. They get excited and they talk about it. They talk about the journey. It's good. It's kind of like that with people who've run for office. They'll say it changes your life. You meet people you never imagined you would have met. It's just a whirlwind year or however long you choose to make your campaign. And uh, it can be really good. Or could it be something you feel like you can't recover from if you lose? Um, What if you win and at the same time you've hurt your business because it was an ugly race or you've lost friendships because it was someone you knew that you ran against? You know, there's all of these things to consider. But I think that win-win, win-lose, lose-lose, lose-win is a good exercise to do. So with that, I will end it and take any questions you might have. Does anyone have questions?
1: I do, Marie. Um, okay. I know a lot of people that are, are here today or will be watching this, are considering running for office, either local or otherwise, maybe five years down the road. You know, sure. this, is a, this is a young professional group, so they're saying someday I wanna run. Um, what advice do you have for them now, knowing that they're gonna have an interest in that five or more years down the road? to kind of build the foundation for these more uh, specific steps?
0: I would say that the best thing to do is networking, uh, to get to know your elected officials, to make sure that you're informed on the issues, read the paper every day, attend meetings of the body that you're running for. Um, I, I had a friend who ran for council. They'd never been to a council meeting. How, how can you speak intelligently on that if you, you know, you, you don't know for yourself how it operates? Um, familiarize yourself with the office as much as possible, but really kind of develop yourself, work on your network, work on your, your volunteerism in the community and become a part of the community. And that will go a long way towards, um, making you a viable candidate.
1: Okay. One more question and then I'll give somebody else an opportunity. Um, we, with the chamber push a lot, um, people who we see who would be great, at fill in the blank uh, seat, but mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of, well, that's, that's um, there's a lot of hesitation, I guess, because of the way things are structured and they just don't wanna have anything to do with it, even though they'd be a good candidate. So what advice do you have for people who um, want, if we wanna encourage someone to just consider that, how do you plant that seed effectively?
0: Well, there there's several people, people, several reasons why people don't run. Either the thought of a campaign is so overwhelming, they just, they can't picture themselves in that contest and going through that ordeal, or the body that they want to serve on is just not that compelling to them, or maybe, I mean, sometimes it's, especially I find local school boards, <laughs> but sometimes the body is so toxic, they want nothing to do with it. And you really, for some people, it's not for them. I mean, the constituent service is hard. You, ha- you have to be willing to talk to people, take those tough tough phone calls. The, uh, the good things are often thankless. And sometimes you've got, I mean, some of the, we've got small towns across Louisiana going bankrupt. I don't know. The decisions you have to make can be overwhelming in a bad way. And so I would say... Things like this boot camp are what we do to encourage people to run because it does give you that roadmap to success and uh advice from the experts. And when you see that there's a formula to it and there's a science to it and there's best practices to follow, it makes it a little more doable, People in the business community. Because if you we love to copy a plan, you know, if we see um Like Amy was talking about, about all the good stuff she did with marketing. If you see something else that somebody does well, you're going to copy it, especially when you see that it it is successful. And so the same things in campaigns, if you see that there's a good way to do it and it produces good results, you think, oh, I see what you're doing. I can do that. You know, I had a good friend who was a realtor who we convinced to run. She realized it wasn't her time yet, but when she went to a, she went to one of our boot camps and she said, oh, I got this. This is marketing. I got this Mm -hmm. I know what to do and now she's gung-ho to run which is good because she's a a good smart person who cares about her community Um, yeah the more you can shed light on something in sunshine and have them understand it the more they the less um, impossible it becomes especially for women you know we pattern ourselves after what we see other women do and so if you don't have women serving in office you're less likely to picture yourself serving in that office so it, it takes uh, sharing and bringing people into the fold to to achieve that. Other questions? Um, I have
2: a question. Yes. I I do a lot of community work around here, and it's kind of um like my existence at this point. So basically, I do want to be a politician. Well, not not necessarily um like a big politician. I would never want to work for the state or anything like that, but something local just to be able to control what happens in my district or even what happens in my parish. Um, I would love to have a seat like that. And what I'm doing now is just paying attention, um, doing that, of course, developing relationships with, um, our local politicians, not only for the, not only to promote my foundation, but to kind of learn and when I work for the city, I did have to go to those meetings sometimes because most of the time they're about us. Yeah, um, okay. But what would you say? I guess my thought process is I want to run in maybe five to ten years, like Laura was saying, and I know that my age group, I'm 26 right now, and a lot of the people who are my age aren't as responsible as me or, you know, I'm a little older than the rest Mm -hmm. of my friends and it's like they're registering to vote they're doing especially with the climate that's happening right now and I wonder if that would I know you were saying that voters are normally a little bit older do you think that would hurt or help me as a policy as a young politician trying to um, get into office or you know I oftentimes run into older people who will tell me oh you're just a baby or you know you're just young or threat oh maybe (laughs) I just, I thought they were right. You know, maybe I am a little bit too young about this and I, I or too young for this and I need to pay attention more. So I'm trying to do, what do you feel like I should focus on most to pay attention and what would be my downfall?
0: I think, um, you know, we had a state legislator who was 27. That's fine. Like, yeah. you have no, no requirement other than what the law says for you to run. Um, okay. It's difficult to be young uh, and run because again, your peers are not voting. And so if your campaign depends upon inspiring people to vote in the first place, that's not a good idea. Um, You want to get people who are already voting with you. And so I would say it's never too early for a young person to run, especially it can be a message of change. It could be a message of, you know, it's, it's time for the good old boys to retire my turn. Um, It just depends. It just depends, but make sure you're ready for it. I mean, the things that I talked about, like you're going to the meetings, you're meeting the people, you understand the procedure, uh, you know, who wants to jump into being, um, you know, like, a the parish assessor, if you're not familiar with how taxes work, you know, so do that self-education just to make sure that you're personally ready for it. And I think the network of people who are behind you can only grow. So do, so do that, and then just don't get any DWIs. You'll <laughs> be fine. Of course. <laughs> but I will say, you know, on that thought, um, it's 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 a good idea to get people to endorse you. And when you're young, it's almost like you've seen people sometimes release uh, lists of people who are behind them. You know, not just like I'm having a fundraiser, look at the host list and people go, oh my God, look at all these community leaders supporting her. Uh, That's always very impressive if you do that early on. And sometimes you need those credentials and those testimonials of other people who are older and some of the community say with her, she's uh, that, that to overcome that. Any more questions for
2: Marie? Well, thank you so much, Marie. Um, I took a lot of notes. I think some others took a lot of notes. This <laughs> is very informative.
0: And I'll send around the uh, the flyer for the boot camp next week if y'all are interested in uh, sharing it as well. Yes, we can share it.
2: Chamber and NYP both can share it um, to try to get the word out in our area.
0: Be perfect. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And thank you. Um, and thank all of y'all.
2: This is the last session of our conference. So I really appreciate all of y'all attending. I hope to see all of y'all at the virtual social tonight. Um, and it, I guess I'll see y'all tonight. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, Marie. Bye.